Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencer Podcast. Ed, we are back and we are going to get into a conversation today that I think matches the current time situation. So for those of you listening in the the future, maybe a year, two years down the road, obviously this doesn't play to exactly what's going on in your life, but it plays on what's going on currently now. And we are going to talk about today, Ed, we're going to talk about leadership during a crisis. I think this is a key, key topic, man, that, you know, it works for any time though. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, you talk about the future and, and who knows, they may have some kind of, cause when, and during this, you know, this conversation, we're going to talk about, it doesn't have to be major. Yeah. Right now we're going through something obviously major, but it could be something, uh, you know, a little less major and uh, maybe they're going through something now in the future. <laughs> but who knows? But I think it's going to be, uh, as I read the article, I took a lot from it. And uh, especially with what's going on right now, Brian. So quick story about crisis. Um, it was a personal story, Ed. You're going to find it's kind of funny. Um, and I think you saw the picture I posted when Jeff Watts had posted, hey, give us the whatever number picture out of your film. You, you saw the flat tire. Did you see yes, that Yes, the trailer or the, the U-Haul. Yeah, exactly. So long story short or short story long, you decide. Um <laughs> Basically, so when we drove from Tennessee to Colorado, we took we did a three day trip. Well, we started off the trip, you know, we checked the air, everything seemed fine. Um, well, we had to add a little bit of air. We thought, oh, maybe it's because of the weight that was in the trailer. So, okay, no problem. Day two, we noticed, man, the air is down again already, and was one tire. So we pump it up again and get down, going down the road, and next thing you know. I see, I look in the back of the, the mirror. I just happen to look back and all of a sudden I see shredded tire flying everywhere. Oh, no. Right. So we pull over. Yeah. We pull over in this and we, we obviously, we had to limp it for a hot minute. So those of you who don't know what limp it means, it means you have to go very, very, very slow to where you can get. So we limp it into this rest stop. It's about two miles. We had to limp it. Michelle and, and her sister, they drove ahead uh, and parked and waited on us. So we got there and we get this guy, he comes out and to replace the tire, but I'm, I'm watching him replace the tire and I'm thinking there's plugs in this tire that he's replacing it with. So he's not even bringing a new tire. He's bringing one he plugged and I'm like, okay, maybe that's a, maybe that's a standard or maybe that's something that they do. Right. (laughs) No joke, man. So we get on the road, we get going, uh, the very next day, the very same tire explodes Uh and michelle so (laughs) we have walkie talkies but no no joke the walkie talkies uh battery died so i get a phone call and i answer the phone but it goes on the uh it goes on the truck speakers because it's bluetooth and it's my wife screaming into the phone pull over your tire's gone you know like just (laughs) that's you know exactly that's what i'm thinking i'm like what is she talking about i look over the mirror and i see you know the tire so we pull over we limp it again for a little ways and but we get it we get it replaced again but it was just 
I thought about that as a crisis moment at the time, you know, because you think about weighted down trailer, it could fishtail. A lot of things could happen. So it's how we reacted, how we reacted to that situation could determine the overall outcome. You know, it could have been way worse than what it was. We were very thankful for, you know, the safety involved that we were able to get through the situation. But I thought about, and this is, this is no, this is nothing against my wife's reaction. I think her reaction actually was the right way. They first tried one means of communication, didn't work. They tried the next. And as soon as the next one came, it was like a blast, like pull over now, you know, type situation. And it made me think about like how sometimes I think she reacted correctly, but sometimes in a crisis situation, I've noticed how people overreact and it's like, uh, you, did you really need to do it that way? You know, type situation. Um, thoughts yeah i mean because if you panic and you don't remain calm and and we're going to talk about you know remaining calm and stuff throughout this uh this section or this uh topic but if you don't remain calm you can make it worse you know i used to be an overcorrector my wife said so you know i would jerk the steering wheel if something happened and like if i slid or you know if i even if i just drifted into the um onto the rumble strip yeah i wouldn't I wouldn't drive back on. I would jerk the wheel back on. And that is like basically in a crisis, uh, the jerking of the wheel is we can spiral a crisis out of control. Yeah. And in your scenario, if you had just jerked the wheel with that, you know, with that tra- that tire exploded, uh, it could have been really, really bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could have fishtailed. We could have gone off in a ditch. I mean, there were multiple scenarios could have happened. So I, I was thankful for how you know how it ended up but yeah you, um it's funny that you say that you you do you still jerk the wheel or you have you kind of trained yourself out of that no i've i've trained myself out of that this was like a few years ago she was really yeah i trained myself out of it um and i didn't think i was jerking a wheel but then i started paying attention of course because you know that's what we do when yeah. our wives tell us something uh, yeah, yeah constructively yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mine is my wife likes to uh she she puts her hand up on the roof uh, uh when she gets scared <laughs> and i'm telling you sometimes that scares me more than whatever is going on you it know does right I, <laughs> yeah yeah my yeah, wife's so, a gasper she's like <gasps> and it's like yeah, yeah. And i jump too and i'm like what and she's like yeah there was a bird <laughs> <laughs> it was a bird you almost hit it it was 20 yeah. miles down the road. I saw it. Yeah, really. Like, what, what did it, was it the road runner? Because if it wasn't, I don't understand the issue. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and to, really, so we'll back up, reframe. That was not a cut on either one of our spouses. Uh, I think many people have on both sides. I can't ride in the passenger seat. Michelle knows this. That's why she doesn't drive. I get car sick like nobody's business. I hate riding with someone. Hmm. Um, so, you know. I got to take my licks where they are. Um, and I may be an overreactive person too. Cause I sit there and if I'm in a passenger seat, I am definitely a passenger seat brake person. You know what I mean? Like thinking that the brakes will work over here type well, situation. Man. So yeah. Like the, like the driving instructor cars. <laughs> oh yeah. We, oh goodness. I couldn't only imagine what it'd be like <laughs> if I had one of those. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, it, it, I, I'm glad we kind of talked about it that way because I think about, I think about what you just said about you were an overreactor in a sense, right? And, and it, yeah. we're not saying this was a huge crisis, but it was it was an instance where you had a quick emergency feeling. You overreacted, 
But you said over time, you've learned to adjust who you are because you started noticing things. Um, I kind of feel that way in a sense, but I'm I'm still, I guess I'm not old enough yet. I still suck at driving, I guess. Uh, But uh, yes, you do. (laughs) Whatever, man. Um, When I think about this, what we're going to get into with this, I think if people would take on that mentality, that mindset of, Maybe I am an overreactor, or maybe I'm not. I don't take a, a crisis serious enough, right? So you can be on both sides of things, and they can take these these different points that we're going to bring up, and they can try to imply that uh, apply that a little bit. Maybe it'll help them during a crisis as a leader or an influencer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some very valuable tools that should come out of this. Uh about uh, out of the episodes about leadership during a crisis, Brian, I really do. I yes. think that one of the tools is like the very first thing on, uh, you know, that we have the uh, leadership self-assessment quiz is one. Oh that's yeah. A good tool. It, it is. And, and I can't wait to go over that with you. Those of you listening, obviously you're probably seeing in the title, this is part one. We're going to go through two different parts because it is such a broad topic. Um, Ed, it was a great idea Ed had. He's like, hey, we should really bust this up because then we can really show it the attention it needs and we don't have to cram everything in one. So I think it's a great idea. Uh, so with that, we are going to go through this. Uh, it's basically a leadership self-assessment about, you know, like a checklist for crisis leadership. But before that, what I'd like to read to you is the understanding of what crisis leadership actually is, how it is defined as per we pulled this actually out of my um, my school book. <laughs> it's all about leadership, and this was just a section in my school book. And I was like, "Man, this is this is great material. People should know this." So, anyways, crisis leadership is the process of leading group members through a sudden and largely unanticipated, intensely negative and emotionally draining circumstance. Leadership is the key ingredient in successful crisis management. Effective crisis leadership ensures that everyone involved is prepared before a crisis emerges and that successfully navigates response and recovery. So and recovery. Yeah, that and that's I am glad you said that cuz to me it's you can respond to something but it's like where is the where's the end the light at the end of the tunnel. So for instance, let's Ed, we'll take right now. We're going through a situation with this covid thing right now, right? And mm-hmm. I can definitely say that it seems like we're on the right pathway, but me personally, I don't feel like I see the light at the end of the tunnel type situation. And I say this because like, for instance, um, just this morning, you know, the, you know how you get alerts on your phone for emergency alerts? Well, just this yep. morning, the governor had one put out across this state in Colorado where we're at, and it stated um, that they have moved the, the, the stay-at-home order to pushed it all the way to the 26th of April now. So they actually, you know, so it's two more weeks. Um, we've only gone a week into it really so far. So it's two weeks. So an, an ad week was added to it. So to me, it's almost like, well, is there a light at the end of this tunnel? Or, you know, it, uh, I I just, yeah. you know, because it's getting extended. But I understand the idea behind it. It's like, okay, the best way to mitigate uh, the risk here is to say, okay, if we know, for instance, if everyone had contact with it and this was the last date they had contact and we did it properly if we push it just a little bit further we can almost guarantee that there's not going to be more spread type situation 
if people follow the rules, that is. Ah, that's the hard part. <laughs> it is. At least that's been my experience. That's that's the real hard part is people following actually following the rules. Yeah. And 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 that's and that's the whole point behind it, you know, with <clears throat> you you have to give credit. I mean, we're talking about something that in modern day times, we haven't had to deal with such a large widespread of type of situation. Now, I mean, there's obviously been um, there's been different types of crises that have happened that were more localized or they were more like directed towards a specific company or they, you know, uh, you could take the BP oil spill. I mean, you remember when that happened, right? Uh, yes, I do. And it's also a fantastic movie out there about it. Oh, there is. Oh, yeah. The Horizon one. Yeah. My man, Marky Mark, Deep Sea, uh, Deep Water Horizon. Yeah, I hadn't, I haven't seen it yet. But the way I see it is, is like, that's a situation that, that was, that affected a larger, on a larger scale. It was one company, but then it affected a larger scale. And, you know, obviously emergency procedures went into play, all kinds of different things. So it, it didn't, it didn't become larger than one it needed to be. We're talking about right now, though. What about this? This COVID thing or the Rona, as I like to refer to it, um, every text message I put out now, I just call it Rona. Um, but the Rona situation, it's, I mean, it's worldwide. You, you're talking at this moment, you know, and we're recording today. At this moment, we're well over 100,000 deaths. 100,000 deaths. I mean, that's insane. You know, we don't, we haven't seen something like this in a very long time in history. So, yeah, it's just, it's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean, Brian. I actually just saw the update that the United States just passed Italy too for confirmed cases now today. Yeah. So yeah, like it's it's scary, uh, you know the, the numbers. And I, I'm that guy, so at first I did not uh, respond well to the crisis because I was just like meh. And then uh, as things started being put in place to try to flatten the curve i kind of was like wait a minute this is this is legit this isn't just like uh yeah you know swine flu or anything crazy like that now this might be legit so i better start paying attention yeah and that and i do enjoy social isolation <laughs> you're very good at social social uh social distancing you say and isolation uh, distancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah very good i i, I definitely could say that uh <laughs> i i kind of enjoy teleworking but at the same time, it's like I miss the going to actually my office and be able to concentrate in my office type situation. Of course, then again, you know, I took over this new job during the situation, this situation. And during yeah, it's like, it, like yeah. there are still people I haven't even met yet that work at, in my company. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely a unique situation. So, Ed, you ready to do some of this self-assessment to go over it with the with the audience? Yeah, we can. Let's let's work our way through it, Brian. All right, so number one, I'll hit number one, you know, and so on and so forth. We'll go back and forth. All right. Number one is, so back up real quick, uh, audience, you should be able to answer agree or disagree with this. Now, Ed and I spoke before the show really started. You know, some of the the terms used, it's hard to define. So it's, I think it would, it would definitely be like, I think it would be within your power within your realm of work type thing. You know what I mean? Like you can't, for instance, I can't personally deal with the extreme time pressures of global warming as sort of speak, or, you know, whatever it is people want to call an extreme time pressure situation. So 
So I would think it is in, in your realm. Um, so it's agree and disagree. But number one, I can make decisions and recommendations, although under extreme time pressures. And that I, I think that's the extreme time pressures is it's a tough one because you have to really think about it. Yeah, that one was like I said. So this is one of the ones you're talking about the terms. I mean, it really depends on uh, extreme and I think it depends on the scenario too. How I answered now, I, I did say, uh, I did say agree because I mean, um, you know, I've been on convoys and, and things of that nature. And when you're on a convoy, mm-hmm. there are times when you have to make decisions, and that's a lot of pressure. Like if you're outside that wire, and you know you're making pressures that have lives in the balance. So yes, to me, that's how I looked at extreme time pressure, and it's also why I said you know agree because mm-hmm. I've had to do stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it, I, I say agree with that one because of the agree answer that I'm going to put later on further down. And and I'll, I'll definitely hit up on that. But you want to hit the next one? Yeah. So the next one is I stay composed when I have to deal with an urgent problem that is suddenly facing me. So, again, going back to, you know, me doing convoys in Iraq scenario. I mean, I feel like I have to say um, agree. I don't see myself being put in urgent, you know, with facing urgent problems suddenly uh, beyond that. I think those are the easiest ones for me, from my experience to draw on, you know, is, is the, the whole convoy thing and what to do when vehicles break down or when a vehicle gets you know struck by an ID or whatever have you. So that's why I put agree, Brian. I would say I agree now that I do that. But 12 to 15 years ago, that's a disagree all day long. I can't, I'm not, I was very bad at being composed. You know, I didn't, I didn't hold my poker face very well, you know, or I wasn't calm to the situation. So, but yeah, I can yeah, say yeah. it's easier now that I've learned how to deal with situations. And that's why I say these, these terms, the the terms is what our listeners need to really, like, you need to define it to give yourself an honest assessment. Yes. Because that's, this thing is no good if you don't do honest assessment for one thing. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I wasn't good if, you know, you told me, hey, you're getting a command inspection in a half hour or an hour or whatever. Uh, I would I, I would not be as composed when something like that faced me. But that's to me, that's not urgent. It was urgent in that moment. I'm sure my heart rate raised, you know, blood pressure got up. But w- when you compare it to being out on <laughs> MSR Tampa in Iraq or main supply route Tampa, then yeah, yeah, no, it's not urgent at all. So that's why, you know, it just I, I would urge our listeners to just really make these definitions but make it so that you can give yourself an honest and fair assessment. Oh yeah, definitely. So the next one, I would say this is totally in the wording and you have to look at it um, as such. But uh, number three is I almost never choke under pressure. To me, it's, we, we all have a choke moment, you know, when it, so the almost never, I think that's where the key part is because for instance, uh, you may have a momentary lapse where you have to compose yourself for a moment. I mean, so sometimes some situations you're like, what? That, really? And it's really from that point on how you, what directions you take and what decisions you make. Um, and if, if you don't utilize some of the comments that are going to be below the next couple ones, then you are at major risk 
at choking. So I think it's how I apply uh, the scenarios that are that are actually going to be coming up very soon in in this in this thing, uh, whether I say agree or disagree. So uh, in most cases, I would say agree. In situations where I don't seek out people uh, when I need it, I would say disagree. So what's your yeah, thoughts? That's fair. Well, you know, I hear choke under pressure and I think athletics immediately. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, like and, and it's like anything else. It's give or take. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. I'm yeah. not, I was not known to when I played uh, basketball, but, you know. Uh, but I think it's not talking about athletics here. We're talking about, you know, within your organization, uh, you know, are you are you a performer? That's why I would look at it. Are you a, a are you a clutch performer in your organization? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, I think that this is something that we develop throughout our careers. I think uh, day one in the army, you're not. I think uh, Sergeant E five, I just got promoted. You're not. No. I think staff sergeant, you're starting to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I also think some of this comes with age. I think that as a staff sergeant, I was a little better at this because I was older as a staff sergeant than most staff sergeants. So I think a lot of that plays in, but I did give myself an agree. I, are you saying if you agree or disagree, Brian? I agree. I agree. Oh, okay. Oh, you agree yeah. with me or you agree with your, you agree for you? Oh, no, not for you. Totally for me. Oh, okay. Selfish. Yeah. Not being a team builder here. Not being a team builder. Actually, it's funny um, that almost never choke under pressure. If I was, and I would definitely say our show and recording and all that stuff, it's not considered an emergency or a crisis, but there have been times, man, where you and I were like, we've got to put it an episode together like now you know because we don't have anything for this (laughs) we don't have anything for this week coming up (laughs) so i think we hold true to not choking on that we usually get something together and we're like bam gotcha so next one (laughs) when the pressure is heavy i can give clear direction to other people Mm. Ooh. So this this is my note that I made for this one. So I, I actually did not mark this one either way because I think that we are ingrained to want the commander's intent. We want to know what's the intent of whatever it is. So if I'm provi- provided a clear task and purpose, then I can give direction to the, you know to others. But if my task and purpose is cloudy, then I think that that handicaps us. It makes it a little more difficult for us to uh, give clear directions when the pressure is heavy, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of how I went with it, Brian. No, it makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Uh, I didn't think of it that way, though. That's that's kind of a, a good point to it. I I have never been one to ask for permission um, on anything. So usually I kind of just go with my gut and then <laughs> hope that it was the right thing. Uh, so, yeah. so when you say the commander's intent, I think a lot of times, and, and those of you uh, that are not in the military, if you don't understand what commander's intent is, so for instance, it's kind of like the commander's vision for what needs to happen, and yeah. then we decide on the process of making it happen. You know, a commander doesn't sit there and tell you, "Hey, you need to do step one through ten, and this will this will work out this way." No, instead they just say, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking needs to happen," and then we just run with it. Uh, when I think of it that way, I, I say agree for sure. So if I know for sure the commander's intent, 
I can give a good, clear direction because I know what he's wanting. But in some instances, for instance, if it's dealing with a particular soldier and their personal issue, commander's intent's not always involved other than his intent of make sure we take care of our soldiers. Now, I guess you could say that that is involved, but to me, it's not that that is such a broad intent that it's not going to help me in making the clear direction, you know, giving clear direction. Instead, I have to, I have to fall back on what you said earlier. I got to fall back on my experiences, uh, what I've seen in the past, Mm -hmm. what I know through education of understanding programs and all this different stuff. So I have to look at it two different ways. Just like you said, it's an agree definitely with the commander's intent. It's a disagree because the other piece of that giving clear direction to me, that's opinion based. That is completely opinion based because not every, my good idea might not work for everyone. So, yeah. Hey, that's a a good point though. You know, it is opinion based. Um, and it's scenario driven. What's the scenario that you're asking me this? And so mm-hmm. that's why I say some of these questions are a little, eh, they were a little fuzzy. Right. But it's good to ask these questions because it helps you kind of decide where you stand and where you need work. Yeah. And it also, it gets you thinking. I'm going to tell you when I did this, uh, it really got me thinking and that's what I did. So initially, you know, I was like, yeah, I can do that. And I started thinking about it. I said, but do I understand what the direction is coming from my hire, from my boss, from mm-hmm. my uh, senior? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, and that's when I, so that's when I knew kind of was like, eh, well, it's not really agree or disagree. It can be both depending. Um, so I think that these assessments are great for that too, that inner dialogue to get you as an influencer thinking. Oh, absolutely. So let's jump right to number five then. When someone, well, let's do that. <laughs> when someone else is facing a very difficult situation, I am reassuring and helpful. I click agree on that one to a certain extent, once again. <laughs> yes. Because there are some things I'm not good at being reassuring and helpful with. I just, I'm not. Um, and we've had this discussion before. When it comes to a situation where um, someone's dealing with a death, I've never been good at that. I Now, don't get me wrong. I've been working on it and I'm trying, but I don't think... I don't feel like I'm good enough at reassuring and being helpful to those individuals. I help them by giving them resources that to me, that's how I'm, but being comforting, I try my best to uh, show empathy and not apathy. Uh, So, but definitely it's kind of, that's a situational based one right there, my man. Yeah. So this one (laughs) is another one. I really thought about it. So it's really strange because I'm both, I am both. Because I tend to be emotionally detached, which is a, a self-identified weakness that I have, you know, with emotions. But there are situations when it's somebody who works with me, somebody I, you know, I I am um, responsible for, where I can get into a situation where I, you know, I'm more reassuring and helpful. I try to be. But there's also like, especially in my personal life, I have a little more difficulty with that. So I was actually both on this one. Mm. Okay. Makes sense, man. Ready to yeah. hit up number six? Number six, when faced with an emergency, I can make a good decision decision even without all the facts I need. So with this one, Brian, I went back to my, do I have a clear intent? And I felt like, hey, if I'm asking that, then maybe this is an area that I need to work on. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it all it depends on my information, but I actually I put disagree with this. I I put because I think more often than not, I want to know the big picture, which we will talk about. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know the big picture uh, when I'm dealing with something. Now there are things like you know with your situation with the uh, tire exploding. Okay, in that situation then I feel like I would probably be able to make a good decision. Uh, there was many, many, many years ago, uh, my wife and I were in Battle Creek, Michigan, and it was snowing, and we were driving a little Ford Focus, don't laugh, and uh, hit some black ice, and it spun, and I was able to get it down into the ditch and off the road safely, and my wife and I were not injured. So in that emergency i think i made a good decision yeah you know based off of my experience of driving to canada so that's why i say it, it's a sometimes thing but i did put disagree i i mine's disagree it, it it will be disagree on this because i truly feel that i need some facts to be a help to be able to help make the right decision i don't think i really don't think in an emergency situation if you don't have the facts, especially when you're dealing with a bigger, bigger problem. No. So you, you could say, uh, my tire situation or your situation. That's, that's a big problem, but it's a localized. Um, when I, what I think about is like, for instance, if I'm putting out information, let's just say for the new, the, 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 the policies of the COVID thing, you know, and if I don't understand certain elements of it and I just go off of the, the cuff, you know, and say, okay, well, yeah, everyone can go out and do things. Just, you know, keep away from each other. Well, do I really understand the situation when the order to it is, hey, you need to stay home and only go when you absolutely positively have to go do stuff, right? So you yeah. have to go to the grocery store. You got to do that. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I have, I put disagree because I need facts to help me uh, make a decision. And emergency you just have to look at what level of emergency we're talking here you know so yeah no that that makes that makes sense absolutely and, and you know we're taught when we when we're doing this decision making process in the military where we identify facts and assumptions right yes and then we try to uh fact find to make our assumptions into facts whether it changes the assumption or not in order to develop a better course of action so it's kind of inbred. It's another one that's just bred in us as military leaders. Mm-hmm. And if an assumption cannot be proven to be a fact, you eliminate it. Eliminate it. Finish him. Oh, <laughs> finish him. All right, number seven. Seven. <clears throat> when face when facing a major problem, I quickly get the input from people who might have useful suggestions for dealing with the problem. That is an agree. I would never put a disagree there. I just, to me, I'm always going to try to involve others, especially those who are involved or have dealt with something like that or have more experience than I do with that. Yeah, no, this one was a hard agree for me too. Uh, The one thing I did want to point out is I didn't, I wanted to say like, you know, we, we need to define here again, what is quickly, I quickly get the input, you know, because some mm-hmm. things, uh, some such scenarios are not going to allow you to immediately get that that good input that you want. Um, so, you know, even with major problems, there's some things like, you know, if soldiers uh, arrested for domestic uh, violence, like you can't necessarily quickly get input, but you need that input mm-hmm. because you want to make yeah. sure you're making the right decision. You, you may uncover it. It wasn't the soldier that was the... Uh, 
you know, the perpetrator soldier might have been the actual victim in the in the scenario, whether male or female. So I did put a grief for this because you do you have to get that input because what it does is it creates buy in as well that you know, one, it, it creates buy in that, hey, he cares or she cares and, and builds a little bit of leadership capital. Um, and then when you get those suggestions, you may get something better. So, you know, for me to come to you, Brian, and get some input from you. I may get something from you that I'm like, you know, I never even thought of that. And that is absolutely what I'm going to do. So, um, you know, John Rogers was a good source for that. Maybe not major problems because we didn't have a lot of that major kind of thing. At least I didn't with him. But for problems in general, it's good to get somebody else's opinion on stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the question. That's the particular question right there that I think affects a lot of the questions above, um, you know, in dealing with situations is – you've got to pull as much resources as possible. You know, let, let's just put, let's put the situation at hand now with the COVID, the Rona, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Um, <laughs> a lot of our, a lot of our governmental leaders, you know, whether it be the governors or the president, uh, whoever, mayors, it doesn't matter. They are not experts on the Rona. They have to <laughs> seek out information from others. They, you know, I mean, it's, that's a given thing. They're not scientists, doctors, or anything like Absolutely. that. In most cases, they have to see, and and that's what's happening. And I I think sometimes people are jumping to conclusions. They get their little uh, as office space. They're jump to conclusions map out, and they're jumping on one and say, "Oh, he should have known this." Well, yeah. really? Do you think instead people are making decisions off the information provided and? Uh, also, not only the information provided, but also the recommendations. So, uh, but yeah, I don't want to jump on a soapbox and try to defend or, <laughs> or negate. I don't want to defend or or negate anything that uh, a governmental leader is doing because obviously I'm not in their situation. I think they're dealing with something a lot bigger than I need to deal with. Uh, and I feel for them, you know, I feel that they have to make those decisions and yes. it sucks, you know, in all these different countries. And I really think if people would start listening Right. Yep. And doing as they're told in this crisis management situation, we could reduce the crisis, you know. So um, but yeah, that's all I had for that one. Oh, well, I think you closed out very well, Brian. I thought it was an excellent point. And again, I mean, this. see, I keep going back to military decision making uh, process because, you know, we develop courses of actions. A commander or boots can't, is not boots on the ground frontline guy. He needs us to give him some input in order for him to make a decision. And that's in major yeah. or minor problems. So I think you yeah, did a good absolutely. job explaining that, Brian. Absolutely. So next one. Uh, number eight. Number eight, Brian. Gotcha. If I am faced with a real mess that is mostly or partly my responsibility, I tell the truth about what happened. And that is a yeah. hard agree. And it is also, I feel like, uh, going back to uh, something we talk about frequently, which is extreme ownership. Yes. And uh, one of the things that I wrote in my notes here is nothing gets better with time. And I think number eight really is that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, hiding at your responsibility, eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out. It's just what's going to happen. Yep. So it's better to just be truthful and not make the the you know the real mess more of a mess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Own it, and then how do we move forward? That's that's the yeah. only way to go about that. Uh, I'm a hard agree on that one also, because if if you make a mistake, you have to be truthful. 
your integrity is um it's a key piece in this because i'm gonna tell you right now yes i if if i find out somebody's holding something back i i really do doubt their integrity now after that i i'm gonna doubt what they you know they say to me because i'm like wait you would hold that type of information from me why you know and no one you know as as rick williams would say no one's shooting at us so you know in some instances there are other instances where they are but um, there, there are those few that they they are but yeah it's yeah it, integrity like once you've lost that you've compromised that mm. Ah, oh, my friend, my friend. So it's better just be honest. And I'm, and it's not always easy. You know, we catastrophize. I know, like, for me, you know, early decision-making as a sergeant, I catastrophize. Like, I messed this thing up. Uh, you know, uh, a soldier really pushed my buttons, and, and I told the soldier that if he ever did what he threatened to do, that I would put my hands on him. And I felt so bad about it that I went to the first sergeant and, and it was not easy, but I told the first sergeant, Hey, this is what happened in case the soldier files a complaint or whatever, because I was wrong and I did not want to create this nightmare mess by not being upfront about it. And, you know, he supported me. He was like, Hey, you're wrong. He, you know, give me the kind of verbal smack on the hand and, and the soldier actually never complained. So, but I was honest and upfront because it could have got out of control. You know, anytime they call the inspector general's office, now you're getting, you know, higher echelons of command involved and it's a whole other thing then. So mm. my question to you is, is, is that a store discount or more of like an online order discount? For for what? For what? The discount on them hands, two for one. Oh, two for one. He, hey, the soldiers, <laughs> he was messing with my sleep, Brian. Oh. He was messing with my sleep, and you know I don't play with my sleep, so oh. I definitely, I, I definitely threatened the little guy. He was a little oh, dude man. too, so that's probably why I felt bad. Anyway, yeah, the two for one, get him. Well, <laughs> All right, get so these hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number nine. When faced with an overwhelming problem, I can usually imagine what can be done to find a solution. That to me is a hard agree. That to me is the war gaming that we have spoke about many a times that I have, I have been uh, mentored by uh, one of my great mentors about war gaming and running through the different courses of action that I can kind of piece together. I like to use what we mentioned earlier about seeking out the people uh, that, that may have useful information or have suggestions. I like that to help me with this imagining the the solutions and going through a course of action and say okay if we do this this may happen and this could happen so if we go this way we could get this and we get you know so to me uh red teaming war gaming you, whatever you want to call it i think that's a big big thing especially with crisis management yeah so i mean and another term for it which we've we've done it i believe we did a show on is uh visualizing and uh yeah you're not gonna know if you haven't been through that same crisis before are you going to know exactly what it's going to look like? No, but through your experience and, and your, you know, your years in, in, in this world or in that occupation, you've probably gained enough experience to have a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where that visualization can come in uh, and be handy. Definitely. What do we got for number 10? I can change my usual work activities immediately to take care of an urgent need. 
This is not a fair question for us, Brian. Uh, because this we, we do this. I think we do this regularly. We have <laughs> we have to be flexible, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, how many times? And then sometimes, you know, it says urgent need, but who's urgent need? Because you know, because you let your you know your account expire and you need it for you know whatever 24-hour duty you got that's not my urgent need that's your urgent need you failed to maintain your account but some people would feel like oh well you're my you know you're my nco it's your urgent need now you know Mm -hmm. so uh and then also i think this one really goes back to kevin cruz and his got a minute theory with the open door thing because i'm gonna stop what i'm doing to take care of what i say is your urgent need not mine and then I'm the one that's going to have to come back and stay late to do my usual work activity. So we are taught to do that. We are taught to be adaptable, adapt, uh, flexible, you know, and, and overcome. So I'm going to say it's got to be an agree. It's just ingrained in us. Oh, yeah. It's definitely agree. You are correct. I truly feel the military has taught me how to uh drop my usual work activities immediately and handle a situation Home life activities it doesn't <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter i mean there's we've i've dealt with things in the middle of the night um and mm-hmm. half asleep i've dealt with things in the middle of the day and was in a meeting and i had to completely drop that meeting and go right to the urgent situation i do feel like that is like one of the key things that i am i feel like i'm fortunate right that i've had that experience uh, that some people don't get to deal with uh, when they, you know, going to work every day and they're doing the same processing of this and that. And then all of a sudden they're throwing a monkey wrench and they're just like, they're losing their mind because they don't know what to do. We're taught that. I mean, we're taught that at an, as an early leader, uh, even before, mm-hmm. even before you become a Sergeant E5, you, you're dealing with that as a private, as a, as a specialist of, don't wait too long because things will change type situation, you know? So yeah, I Murphy oh, Murphy <laughs> is a real thing. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Ed, we're going to get into some, uh, some points, some major points uh, dealing with crisis management and helping, helping our listeners and even ourselves too, uh, dealing with crisis management in leadership position, influencer positions, doesn't matter. We're going to go through six of those this episode. And then part two, next episode, we'll hit up on the other six. So there's 12 total. Uh, but right off from the get-go, uh, we're going to start off with be decisive. Uh, this, mm. the best accepted principle of crisis leadership is that a leader should take on decisive action to remedy the situation. You cannot run from the situation, especially as a leader. You can't close the door on it. You can't You can't hang up the phone on it. You the there's entirely too much involved and basically it's like you as the leader or the or the the person in charge if you're not the one making you know some decisive taking some decisive action and then people are seeing it you're going to see things crumble around you i feel uh, i personally it's kind of like you're you're setting that culture for that. Like we talked about before, we talk about setting the culture for a positive work environment. We talk about the setting the culture for good communication process, which we're going to get into communication too. Uh, but, oh, yeah. but with that being decisive and, and, and to take truth, it's in your facial expression. It's in the tone of voice you're using. It's in the questions you're asking. And then it's in the, the answers you're giving. It's being decisive. You know, uh, right here, it talks about the first phase of crisis leadership 
is to stabilize the emergency situation and buy time. So it doesn't mean you have to come up with the finalized answer. You got you to find a way to patch up a wound. Ooh. You don't just throw a bandage on it. You got to stop the bleeding. You got to you got to find out where the the bleeding came from. There's lots of things that have to take place, and you're not. It's not just like um, I see somebody with a, a large gaping wound upon them, and I just throw a bandage on it and wrap it up real quick. There may be underlying problems that's going to continue to do that, and we're not going to see it, and somebody could die from that situation. Well, in the same sense, Ed, the way I see it is, I need to start my uh, my triage sort of speak. And I think that's a good, yeah. I think that's a good word to use for a crisis situation. Although it's a medical term, I think we need to start performing triage and triage is we need to start searching. We need to come up with the answers, but at the same time, while we're coming up with the answers, we need to start searching for underlying issues that could um, make the, the problem bigger, sort of speak. Would you say? Yeah, I, I do agree with you. And I think it goes back to what I said, just talking about when I said domestic, uh, some kind of a domestic violence issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got to figure out the underlying issue because simply taking somebody out of an environment does not, that allows them to hide from the crisis. That does not fix the crisis. The crisis will still be there, you know, oh, yeah. in 72 hours or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think you have to kind of, you know, you said triage, yes. if you will. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, to end off this little this this particular pointer, because I think I think uh, people will definitely get the idea behind it. But being decisive in response to a crisis also includes communicating widely the mm. plans for resolving the problem that created the crisis, assuming that the organization had some responsibility for the crisis, right? So, and that's like looking at big organization things. You you have to you have to. Fix what you can fix. You you got to come up with a plan for your group, your organization, your your company, your, whatever it is that you're effectively involved in. Uh, you can't you can't always have uh, a solution on an outside issue. You can try to offer up something, but in most cases, you just have to hope that whatever you offer up is used and then it works. So, uh, but yeah, just being decisive. That is a big thing and not hiding from the problem. All right. So let's hit up this next one, Ed. I am not ready to hit the next one up, Ryan. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to say one more thing here. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So with decisiveness, Brian, it talks, we talk about in the article, but completely agree. One of the things to avoid is a fear of failure because that stops decisive Mm. action. Like when we say decisive action, we're talking about like, boom, I'm ready to initiate. And, um, you know, he quotes uh, Don Schmink it stop, and he says it stops staff from making he's talking about fear here. It stops staff from making great decisions, stops change agents from disrupting the status quo and stops leaders from leading. Mm. And I yeah. think that this is more than just, you know, kind of what we're talking about today. This is leadership in general. Um, if I'm afraid to make a decision because every time I do, I get screamed at by the boss. Yeah. Or the boss belittles me in front of people, like we talked about on the previous episode. Yes. Then I'm not going to do those things. It stops me from leading. It stops me from developing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it. it what happens is that fear of failure. It, what creeps in is that self doubt, and just like you're saying, mm-hmm. yeah. And yep. next thing you know, it's like you're so so much self doubt is involved that you're having a hard time being decisive. Where instead, it's you got to tell yourself, hey, 
I can handle this. All right, so what what are some of the possible solutions we got here, team? Or, you know, what are some of the possible um, uh, reasons that this happened, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff involved. Yeah. So so now I'm ready to move on, Brian, if it's all right. Oh, there you go. I'm glad, I'm glad, you're, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're helping me through this because obviously I, I don't know what I'm talking no, about. No, you're, you're good to go, man. That one no. just, that that the, the whole fear pretty much stops a leader from leading is very it was a very strong point to me and i just wanted to i, I agree <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i mean i have some compassion for you my friend uh and that is next lead with compassion mm. displaying compassion one's concerns anxieties and frustrations of group members is a key interpersonal skill for crisis leadership Interpersonal skills, I feel like, are super important for crisis leadership um, as a whole. And, and there's multiple, but this is just one of them. And the type of compassionate leadership that brings about organizational healing involves taking some form of public action that eases pain and inspires others to act as well. And so what comes to mind with this, Brian, is, you know, I'm, I'm usually not big on the uh, the athletes in the spotlight and, and maybe they do, maybe they don't do it, you know, just for the attention or for some monetary gain. But I think when you think back to stuff like, um, like, like hurricane Katrina and the new Orleans saints and how involved they were in the recovery efforts in that community, that inspires people to take action because, you know, I'm going to go back, even though his career has been well over, but to see Reggie Bush out there, working at soup kitchens, working in tent cities that, that inspires others in the community to get involved. And I think that at that point you're leading with compassion, Brian. Oh yeah. I, I think, you know, we, um, so we talked about in the last episode, we talked about, uh, humility through humanity. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that falls in that same realm of, you know, I feel like somebody who has a, a great deal of humility will have an idea of how to lead with compassion. They'll have you know, humanity, uh, the mindset involved, and they'll be able to, um, to a certain extent, because sometimes, you know, you're going to break some eggs, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Not all solutions are perfect. Um, there's going to be, there's always going to be a downside. There's, there's no, there's no, um, everyone wins situation all the time. It's going to happen. But, but at the same time, it's, uh, lessening the blow to those who may, uh, take it. Uh, you know, so I, like for instance, let's think about right now, man. Like you, you think the businesses out there that are going under yes. or they're struggling and can barely keep going. You know, some of those those self employed ones are the ones that um, that scare me the most for people. Uh, I know, like like my sister in law, she's a beautician. She relies her business literally relies on human interaction. Yes, she can't virtually cut a hair. You know. She she can't virtually whack somebody's eyebrows. There's there's things that she has to do to be in business, and you know, and you you know, our two of our favorite our two of our favorite barbers, Heather and Heather. You know, the, I mean, I feel for them. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're yeah. they're amazing people, but I guarantee you this is putting a struggle on them and their family, and it's finding, you know, those other ways to go through it and, and to have some compassion, you know, the idea that, you know, people can apply for certain types of uh, grants or loans uh, for small business. I think that helps. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I hate, I hate the word loans uh, for those people because I hate the idea that they have to pay it back. 
uh, at the same time, I know they pay their fair share in taxes and they probably get, you know, they pay in quite a bit and stuff. So it's like, Hey, you know, there's certain people that can help out with this. Um, yes. But, yes. Yeah. I think one of the things, one of the things we kind of have been doing is uh, we haven't been eating out as much because, you know, obviously you can't sit down and I like to go sit down, but what we have been doing is when we do go out, we, we don't do the, uh, the franchise, the, the chain restaurants, we go to the, you know, the mom and pops donor spot and try to support the local businesses still. Actually, our favorite donor spot, you drive up and you just blow your horn. The guy comes out, does everything. He brings the machine out. You pay from your car. Uh, yeah. He don't have a drive through window. But I think that that's kind of helping, you know, helping people because it is a trying time. And I think that's kind of and it was my wife. It wasn't me. I think that's her leading with compassion, although she wouldn't see it like that. You know? Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So leading compassion, I, I think that's a key piece and we just have to kind of, we have to keep that in, uh, in our brain at the same time while we're doing all this. And I think it really leads into that very next piece that we're going to talk about, Ed, which is thinking strategically, which you mentioned earlier yep. <laughs> is seeing the big, the picture. big picture. I, yeah, the big picture is a big thing. And I find it as an early on leader, Ed, that I didn't see the big picture as much. And it's so hard to because you're so concentrated on your smaller situation. I have actually learned how to see the big picture at higher levels. So for instance, I'm at a company level, but I'm thinking big picture and how things are affected at the division level, right? Which is multiple echelons above yes, mine. Two, at least, um, yeah, three. It's three. Yeah, three. Um, yeah so, so to me, it's one of those situations where because I have been trained over years, I understand that. But if I walk up to if I walk up to a sergeant, you know, a young brand new promoted leader who's trying his best or her best to be uh, you know, effective and efficient, and I asked him, How do you think that this is affecting at the brigade level or the battalion level? They're like, you know, it's let's just say battalion level. They're gonna be. They're going to think of self first. Yeah. They're not gonna think about the big picture. They're gonna think about okay. Well, how do I protect the people within my section, you know, or my team? And that's mm-hmm. that's the hard part for them. Uh, you know, one of the things here it says that uh, a success factor for the leader of an organization or a key organizational unit is to think strategically, including seeing the big picture during an organizational crisis. This cognitive skill increases in importance because subordinates may become so mired in the crisis that they see no way out. Man, that speaks so much truth. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think, Ed, one of the things, to me, two different things come to mind. One being Jocko and one being the red teaming thing. So back up to the Jocko thing. In his newest book, uh, (laughs) Leadership, Leadership Strategies and Tactics, he talks about a field manual, the field manual. Yeah. Part two. Uh, he talks about seeing the big picture and how they were in a, a scenario and he literally, all he did was physically step back in that scenario. He saw what was going on all around him, and he made a call, even though it wasn't his call to make and it worked. And, but later on he did the same thing and he got chastised because the leader was trying to make a decisive uh, a decisive decision off of what he could observe, and he was trying to take in all elements, and instead it backfired on the second time, 
right? So I think, you know, it, it comes with learning, but red teaming, I think personally, that was probably one of the best things that you and I got to uh, be involved with in, in understanding, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's kind of the whole, your whole little, uh, your whole little feedback there, Brian, is kind of funny because the reason I could help you with the name of the book is because right here in my notes, it says Jocko, Leadership Strategy and Tactics of Field Manual. And I'm pointing the yes. right, which the it just I'm pointing the big picture. I put an arrow, so because I just read that chapter this week, and uh, and so it hit me. I, I think big picture. So when I think big picture, Brian, for me as a leader, I think my that was my aha moment. That was my, you know, kind of you transition because you know you complain a lot when you're a junior soldier, and then when you're a young sergeant, you kind of are still in that junior soldier mindset, and you're still kind of a complainer about things. And then all of a sudden, you have that moment where you start seeing the big picture, and you're like, ah, what I was complaining mm-hmm. about makes sense now because it's part of a bigger picture. It's bigger than just me and my my four, you know, soldier squad. Um, and so that's as a, as a leader, that's your aha moment in your organization, in the military civilian doesn't matter The When you first see the big picture of your organization, that's when you, it, it really becomes clear, you know, Oh, that's the intent. This is how this meets the intent. Now I get why, you know, we're doing this, this, and this. So, Oh yeah. That, that, this whole paragraph to me was just like, oh, yeah, I remember when this happened to me. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. And I think what people – an easy way to do it, a couple different solutions for thinking strategically is, one, taking your mindset out of your localized situation and try to elevate that and see, well, how does it affect here, you know, above me here? And how does it affect uh, the larger organization here? And it allows you to incubate on that bigger picture. Now you start thinking about – so, for instance – if I'm in platoon, first platoon, how is this situation also affecting second platoon and third platoon? You know, because maybe they have different types of skill sets. So let's put it in civilian term. If I'm in the accounting or let's say I'm in the uh, internet securities section, I think your sister's in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's say the internet security situation. How does that affect the other sections? Because I'm protecting them in this area or I'm, I'm maintaining some type of securities in this area. How's that going to protect those other areas or or how's it going to affect those other areas, which can kind of compound and then you get to start thinking a little bit more strategically. Second solution to me is for those of you out there to purchase or to, to find the book Red Teaming. We've talked about it multiple times and there are so many different methods of red teaming and how to look at a problem. What it talks about and really is it's basically how to think like the enemy is what it is. And if you think about it, your crisis situation is the enemy. So you're thinking like, how do I negate this problem by thinking in terms of it? Um, Hey, an example of seeing the big picture would be for say a leader to recognize that a couple of months after manufacturing plant was destroyed due to an explosion, another company plant could absorb its workload or the destroyed plant might be restored. Um, that was an example they gave in this, but I, I'm like, you know, I, I don't know if that's kind of like one of those situations. That's like a big, big CEO type situation. Yeah. I think that, uh, when we read this one, Brian, so in this one, I, the research, the, uh, the research con- conducted by Leslie De Church, 
I thought that that was a, a pretty good like scenario to really make clear the importance of thinking strategically. And basically it's just like they did a, a, a study where they measure historical events to elucidate uh, yeah. aspects of leadership, essential and extreme context, you know, critical events or activities taking place during the crisis situation were studied. And then they, when they published a report, the major finding was that the leadership function of strategy was important in dealing with the crisis event An aspect of strategy uncovered that is relevant here was understanding the big picture. So they did this study and they looked at like natural disaster, aftermaths of natural disasters, uh, post-war stability operations, things like that. And they still came to the conclusion that understanding the big picture was really relevant in this study. So I thought it really made clear this whole little blurb here, Brian. Oh yeah. I, I agree with you, man. Uh, it's just understanding that, you know, you kind of got to, you got to get a bit of, uh, you know, 52,000 foot view instead of a 100 yeah, foot view. Yeah. That's, that's the zoom key out. Piece. <laughs> zoom out. <sighs> All right. Are we moving on, Brian? Oh, absolutely. I think that we, we will. Uh, thank you for communicating with me. <laughs> uh, so the next one is reveal everything. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's Kevin Cruz's principle that feeds into yes. communicate widely about the problem. That is actually what's next. Um, so when tough times hit, it pays to increase communication about the problem facing the company or a unit or what might be done to improve the situation. By communicating with workers throughout the organization, they will have an opportunity to provide leadership in one company a, a technician suggested the company focus more on servicing existing equipment than attempting to sell new equipment during the recession. So basically by me throwing out there, here's, you know, here's the no messing around what's going on. Mm -hmm. Here's our problem set. That expert, that subject matter expert, I may not even know I have in my, in my section can step forward and provide some input and some leadership that uh, could one develop them and, and get them some, you know, some leadership capital uh, built up, but it could also better the company. Just listening to people we've talked about earlier, you know, letting your, you know, the people you work for, or you work with, let them share their solutions and then the, you know, kind of examine those and see, Hey, maybe one of those are better. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that with this, with the whole COVID thing going on right now, this is one, I think it was really, uh, at least for us, at least in my organization, I think it presented a very unique challenge. You know, the social distancing thing and how to communicate things right now has been very kind of back and forth. We've used a lot of different softwares, uh, GVS, Jabber, you know, and other forms of communication to try to clear this up. Um, because, you know, we're, we, the bigger problem is how do we conduct meetings if we, you don't want us in a room together, uh, six feet of, you know, distance, if, you know, you only want essential personnel work in. So these are things that had to be communicated. And these are some of the softwares and solutions that were brought up. And they weren't brought up by the boss. They were brought up to the boss, you know. And, and luckily, he was, you know, a good enough leader during this crisis to listen to these solutions. And, and I believe a lot of them were driven from Department of uh, Defense down for us to use these things. So just a, a good example of how, you know, the crisis thing, it doesn't have to flow. The communication doesn't have to flow. You know, it has to flow from the top down. Solutions can flow from the bottom up, though. 
Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So it we talk about communication so much during the show. I think you could definitely tell that that is a key aspect in anything influencer or leadership wise. But when it does come to dealing with issues, problems, crisis, that that is probably that's basically your way out. So for instance, you go in, you fall into a ditch. You've got to find a way out. You got to come up with a solution. You got to start doing things. You got to communicate on how you're going to do it, right? It's, it's, I mean, to me, when we lose the communication piece, we lose the battle against mm-hmm. the crisis because other people need to know. Absolutely. If, if I'm the leader, yeah, if I'm the leader and I have the solution and I'm not telling anybody, well, my solution is ineffective, period. Because in most cases, as the leader, I'm not the one who's establishing whatever systems processes. Um, or, or running those systems process. I may, I may come up with an idea and I say, this is what we're going to do. But if I'm in a room in a closet by myself and I say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And then I walk out of the closet, everyone's still going to be staring at me like, what are we going to do? So to me, like, you, you can't get any more simple than that, man. Yeah. And, you know, like we do talk about communication a lot and, it, and it's, it's for a reason. I mean, you know, for instance, with, with what we're talking about today with the crisis, like, you, the employees have to understand how what me as the boss, what am I seeing? What am I thinking? What's my vision? And then they also will understand the why Simon Sinek starts with why they'll understand the why of the decisions we're making. Right. And then what you're doing there is you're kind of bringing their decision-making and your decision-making together, which then builds a culture of trust and understanding so these are all like crucial things that come from, um, you know, the leadership uh, and and effective communication. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree anymore with that. Why? Thank you, Brian. Uh, so it's just the same old normal routine for us then. You're just agreeing with me because uh, I made a well thought out point. <laughs> no, I mean, it, you, you, you know, you can add to, you can take away. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the usual work routine. Um, I was actually reading a text message. <laughs> no, hey, I was I, trying to feed you in. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I completely agree with that, and I think really kind of the routine of things is what really helps um, us to reestablish like some type of order out of the chaos, and that's our mm-hmm. very next point is reestablishing the usual work routine. And I really do like what it says here because I think this is. This to me is that, you know, we talked about the communicating part, but to me now you're communicating uh, and it's taking on that no crap leadership role because Mm -hmm. you may be doing what's unpopular, right? So people want to stop and process and all that stuff, but you know, sometimes forever, I tell you, telework forever, but you know that that's not the most healthy way to get back into things and to get things rolling again. So what, what the author here has to say, and I like what it's a temporary drop in performance and productivity is almost inevitable for most workers after a disaster strikes. And it could be any type of, uh, it could be any type of uh, emergency. It could be anything from a earthquake to a terrorist attack to maybe a, a, you know, a massive shutdown of whatever, transportation highway or whatever, you know, it could be lots of things. Yeah. Even if the organization was not directly affected. So it, it's that's a, it's kind of like an iffy situation. Although it may appear callous and counterintuitive, the leader should emphasize the temporary nature 
of the performance decline. An effective way of helping people deal with a workplace crisis is to encourage them to return to their regular work. It is important for workers to express their feelings about the crisis before refocusing on work, but once they have, returning to work helps ground them in reality and restores purpose to their lives. He talks about... uh, there was uh, Randall Marshall. He's the director of the trauma uh, studies, f- basically for New York State offices of mental health. He basically said this right after 9-11, but a healthy response to this type of situation is to go back into a routine. And what it is, is we feel yeah. safe in our routines. If you know, I mean, how, absolutely. You Right now, Ed, we're in this situation. You love going to the gym and working out. You feel you feel the comfort of that. You get that serotonin and oxytocin <laughs> from it. But now that you're out of it, you've had to find something different to supplement that, correct? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> no, yeah, I have. You, you, and I think a lot of people are going through that. And it's like, you know, you, it, you can't go out and just buy equipment because that's really difficult to get a hold of. But oh yeah, um, I think the return to normalcy just breeds comfort, right? Like you said. And I think with COVID-19 right now, we're in a unique spot because we don't know any kind of idea when we were going to return to normalcy. But um, I think that as soon as, you know, travel bans are lifted and, you know, shelter, you know, stay home orders are rescinded. I think it's important to get back into the grind of every day because it will, uh, you know, take you back to normalcy, give you a level of comfort. And we talked about the importance of familiarity way back when we did the science like ability. And, and the other thing is I think we've done a, a, a decent job with those softwares that I talked about to at least in my organization, they've done a good job at like, we still have our sync meetings that we had mm-hmm. on Tuesdays. We're just doing it over, you know, the internet now. So I think that to me, that's still a return to some semblance of normalcy. It's not the norm of us sitting in a room together, right. but right. the the battle rhythm, the routine of it is, you know, somewhat normal again. I think that was important for helping people cope with this right now. I mean, you know, like, like right now it's a scary time and hopefully by the time this airs, maybe there's been the curve is flattened and maybe we've seen a decline in numbers. That's my hope of course. But yeah, I think returning to normalcy, you know, nine eleven. I think about Katrina, how fast they wanted to get back into their homes, get back to, you know, normalcy. Uh, in new orleans i think about all the hurricanes in florida and how that's always you always have that one person on the news that's like i just want to get back to normal you know so i think that's it's crucial and and to me what you're saying there though it definitely what it does is when someone says i want to get back to normal it's because they felt comfort they felt safety they felt um that everything was going to be okay when they're back in their normal routine. And I mean, I know I can tell you right now, and you've probably done the same. You felt the same too. There's been multiple situations when I was uh, abroad that just to be in a routine felt good Yes, because of the threat. But at the same time, complacency is a scary thing, especially as a soldier. It is mm-hmm. massively scary to let people get complacent and we have to kind of heighten our senses four situations. Now, I just want, I mean, you were sitting there talking about um, different types of uh, ways to deal with what's going on and stuff. And it just came to mind. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, we're learning to operate differently 
basically off the cuff kind of thing. Yes. But at the same time, we're learning to operate differently. If that makes sense. Like I, I feel like we're trying things, we're experimenting, but at the same time, we're learning how to deal with things and we're gaining this experience. To me, it's the same thing is, you know, when we pushed into Iraq, man, you know, how many people actually had a patch, oh, wow. you know, on their shoulder where they had done it before? Not a lot at the time, you know, because the, the most yeah. previous thing to that, no. in a sense, w- would have been Afghanistan. But a lot of the people doing Afghanistan didn't go right into Iraq. They followed up. Would have been actually uh, the Desert Storm, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, right? And that was quite some time previously. So you didn't have a lot of the experience still there. Yeah. So we were, you know, in, in the same sense, you think about it, we were mentally dealing with a crisis. We were mentally having to communicate things. We, we were trying to... We were trying to establish a routine out of our previous routines. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think really when I say, when, when it says reestablish usual work routines, sometimes it's also okay when you're reestablishing those to incorporate some of the new elements that you learned to help facilitate prevention in a sense. Yeah, I mean, you may be, we, it's stuff that we're doing now that may carry, like you said, may carry over after you know, the COVID crisis has calmed down and some normalcy has returned to us. And and there may be things, you know, like for us, we deal with other countries. And right now we're dealing with other countries through teleconferences and things of that nature. And maybe in smaller enga- uh, engagements, we may be able to do that in the future where before we would have traveled to them, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, yeah. So we're, we're learning to build, at least for me, I'm learning to build a relationship with somebody from another country through a teleconference that I normally felt like I had to be face to face to establish that, that relationship, that rapport with them. So mm-hmm. maybe those are things that we carry forward. I, I think that that's uh that that's important. Oh yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong though. I, I still think the human contact piece, uh, it, that has to be reestablished. We're, you know, Simon Sinney says all the time, we're human beings who crave human contact. He, I want to say it was in uh, it was in the uh, his book, The Infinite Game, where he talks about he basically talks about how he thinks it's ironic that bloggers assemble together every year to talk about (laughs) blogging together. Right. So their, their literal purpose and job is to do things online where there's nobody else involved but they actually get together to talk about it because why they need that togetherness. They need that, that human contact, that reassurance, you know, like I could reach out to anybody through email, but it's not the same as if I talk to them in person, I can read their, you know, everything I can, you know, it's, it's just, it's different. So. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's face to face is way different. So you talk about human contact, Brian. So here's a question for you. Does the handshake come back? I don't know. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think it comes because it's back. always been a power thing, right? It is. I think it comes back, but I think more Purell's carried in pockets. Yeah, I, I I saw that on you know one of the social media platforms, which you can find us on at One One Influence on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Yeah, ah, go ahead that. and get that in there. But I, I saw it on one of those platforms, and it really made me start thinking: like, does the handshake survive COVID nineteen? Because I I honestly I think it's going to be a huge drop in handshakes. Mm-hmm. Post-COVID-19. I, uh, yeah. I think so, too. And, you know, it's funny uh, you brought that part up, but there's the face mask thing, right? Uh, I had somebody say to me, I will, I'll say it was yesterday, 
um, that was, oh, it was the day before yesterday. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Who made the comment of this is probably going to become a thing, these masks. And it's funny because you go to other countries where it's like, he- like pollution is heavy. Uh, in Korea, for instance, I can tell you right now, people walk around with face masks on a lot because of the pollution. But then I think, I wonder if that becomes like a new norm, sort of speak, for people mm-hmm. who want to ev- who want to evade or, and, and and try to get around yeah. getting sick from other people. But so does it become part of the new work routine or the new routine? Absolutely. Yeah. Do, do people just keep face masks on hand now? You know, there's there's so much that can can reshape and resculpt uh, our work routines and our life in general that Off it's of a crisis yeah, all from a crisis. So it's funny like no one wants a crisis, but in a sense, a crisis helps us to become better. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and like I said, I hope this is over by the time they, our listeners hear this. I hope this whole conversation is not irrelevant, Yeah, but it doesn't have the relevance it does today as yeah. we sit here on April 11th recording this. No, you're yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, and it really, I think it sticks to our core values. You see what I did there? Oh, stick <laughs> to our core values. Well, Brian, number six, uh, and the last one for this episode is stick with constructive core values. And leaders who keep their company or division focused on core values are likely to endure difficult times. This is another one of our show themes here. Lowering core values to help overcome adversity can create a permanent change, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Or permanent damage. Let's just add to the culture. Mm-hmm. We can add a permanent damage to the culture. Uh, take this humble example. So I, I have been ignoring the examples, not wanting to kind of get into the examples with the ones that I've done today. Yeah. But this one, one, I thought it was hilarious. And we all need some laughter in these times. So I thought I I would just share this one um, example of sticking with constructive core values. So we have a well-known underwear company (laughs) who decided to cope with lower sales volume by cutting costs on manufacture of men's briefs. The lower cost briefs look fine, but they tore apart at the waistband after several washings. Word spread quickly about the defective briefs. And the company lost accounts with several major retail chains. The chains, the core value compromised here was offering only high quality goods to the public. Mm. And I, I really wanted to read it because I was quoting it. I didn't want to change it, but originally I wanted to read it and say britches, <laughs> manufacturing of men's britches. <laughs> but this is an example. They they gave up some of their core values to provide high quality underpants, and and they suffered for it. So. In these difficult times and when you're dealing with a crisis, that's not the time to compromise your integrity, as we said earlier, but don't compromise your core values, which honestly, integrity is probably rolled up in there too, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Uh, Right? So I think that that was uh, the core values thing. Just maintain, um, you know, and things work out. The Army isn't going to, like right now with us, we're not going to change our seven Army values because of COVID. It's just not going to happen. It's just. No. We, we, those are our things. Those are our principles to guide us in, in our day to day. And I think any company or organization or your own household, your household, if, if your household's core value is to do the right thing, then put your mask on when you walk into the commissary or, mm-hmm. you know, you walk into a store because you know that's the right thing. Yes. So 
don't argue. You know, there's a sign at the front door that says face covering required. And you're arguing it. Why? Uh, my wife and I went into the exchange today. So the store here on base and like literally everybody has a mask on, but this one lady and her two children, first of all, why you wouldn't put a mask on your children at this point, I don't understand, but one yeah. lady, two children, only people in the store. And it was, I told my wife, I said, you would think that she would look around and go, Oh, one of these things is not like the others. Nope. Yep. Just kept walking. And, and I think she knew, you know, I think she, Maybe she lacks some integrity. I don't know. Don't know the lady, but um, I would say that, you know, business, personal, doesn't matter. Let's stick to our core values when you're facing any crisis. Maybe her maybe her core value was thou shalt not cover thy face. Uh, maybe. Nah, maybe. Maybe she's into that. Huh? Yeah. Hey, you brought up, I thought I, I thought it was a key thing before we kind of start winding out of this episode. Uh, you brought up the whole seven core army values, and to me, if you think about everything that's taking place and you really dissect mm-hmm. it, big picture and small picture, I okay. f- firmly believe we are hitting the mark on all those. For instance, loyalty. I you see it all the time, you know, trying to stay loyal to one another and we're trying to, you know, keep keep our distances, things like that. Duty, it's our duty to make sure we're doing, you know, what needs to be done to protect each other. Respecting one another. Um my, me, the fact that I am trying to social distance, I feel like that's the respect needed. And you go into, okay, yeah. you go to selfless service. Like that is a major one right now. Oh yeah. Just yeah. to be able to, to do things that, you know, only go in the store when you need it. Um, uh, not, tr- you know, before, you know, most restaurants close down, but not going out to eat all the time, stuff like that. Trying to, uh, putting on the mask, like you said, that's selfless service because not only are you trying to keep yourself from being exposed, but if you were exposed, you're trying not to expose others, you know, yeah. honor that, that to me. That that kind of is the whole of things, and along with the integrity to do what's right uh, when when no one's looking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which we're, we've been kind of deal with, we've been dealing with some uh, stuff in that. I'm just not going to explain what was happening, but you know, people just shouldn't be driving around in groups from the barracks and cars and having drinking parties in there, you know, type thing. But that here nor there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we said integrity, yeah. and then the final was personal courage, and I think. Personal courage is one of the overarching ones in this type of situation because of how dangerous it could be. And having that personal courage to kind of go against um, the grain on things and instead go with the flow because, you know, some people, they don't want to wear the mask or they don't want to wash their hands all the time. Well, I think that takes a lot of you know, just you got to change who you yeah. are. You know, I'm I personally though, uh, if you use in the bathroom, you not wash your hands after the bathroom. We got some issues, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but I, I see, I see those values that we're establishing and how we've been operating. I see it in the things we're doing Ed. You know what, Brian? So yeah. And I'm going to, I ain't going to ramble. I'm not going to really soapbox, but I'm kind of going to, you know, uh, on a serious note, but what, you know, you say personal courage and immediately there's people that come to mind and you know, everybody says all oh, the doctors, the nurses, and absolutely, absolutely displaying curse, personal courage. Yes. But you know, that person who is going in there to work at that grocery store and take your dirty, nasty money. If you're still using money, uh, guess what? They're risking their own health to be there and they do not make yep. that, you know, they don't make a lot of money doing it. And I think that takes yes. a lot of personal courage. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are still maintaining their jobs and, and for, you know, 
I'll even say, and I don't think they're essential, but the fast food restaurants are still doing drive through. Yeah, I get it. They're not essential in my mind, but they, we know typically they're not making a ton of money and they're still going into work and people are still coming through the drive through or they would not be working. So these other people, those, those are displays of personal courage. We don't really think about the nurses, the doctors. Yes, we know they're, you know, uh, first responders. Absolutely. Military, we're down to essential personnel, but we still are going to work. We're still standing at the gates asking people, you know, making sure they're safe. So, and protecting the force. Um, Ed, there's, there's, uh, there's select groups that are going to these uh, cities that are overly infected and they're assisting in the healthcare area. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we were just, you know, one of our subordinate units, uh, they were they were at one point there was talks that maybe they were going to have to go into um, Italy, which we know was at that point really bad. And you still had army medics that were like, yep, I'm tracking the risk and I'm gone. So, yeah, that's yeah. I, and I think that's so. Big. I think that speaks to the values of us as a society. A lot of people are like, well, you know, society's on the decline and people this and people that. But then something like this happens. And unfortunately, like if you, you know, you talked about the flags at nine 11 when nine 11 occurs, right. That, that patriotic mm-hmm. zest that came out of that. And it's the same thing. That's now honor. you're really seeing people stand up and say, you know what? It's my job to take care of you. It's my job to sell you your groceries or whatever it is. And uh, I just want to say, Hey, to those people, if, they, if any of our listeners are those people, I, I appreciate it. I thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, big a big thank you yeah. to those individuals. Yeah, especially the other day, Chick Fil A. The guy brought that stuff <laughs> to my car. It was I was very appreciative because I hadn't had Chick Fil A in so long. So yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm be, I'm being facetious sort of, but at the same time, I am grateful. I'm grateful for the healthcare workers um, yeah. who do show up every day. I am grateful, especially like your wife. She's I mean, she's one of those in the industry where. I mean, is 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 the store closed that she works at? No. So I will tell you that the, the uh, Army Air Force Exchange Services, their CEO sent out a thing and said, hey, we go where they go and we will not be closing. So and they didn't. I, they're hey, closed for Easter tomorrow. At least here they're closed for Easter tomorrow, um, which I don't remember. Yeah. I'm ever doing that before. Uh, so, that, you yeah. know, but no, absolutely not. None of the exchanges, none of the like. You know, the gas stations, they're all still open on base, Uh, you know. Yeah. And, and that was his message to his workers is, hey, we go where they go, I mean, which is true. You know, that's their mission statement. And it's one of their values. So, yeah, hundred and some years they've been supporting us. So, yeah. 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 People can people can complain about certain things. But I will tell you, that's to me, that's like you start looking at what you're grateful for in these situations. But, Ed, I think it's time to close this one out. Yes, sir. For this episode, because part two, we're going to finish up this 12 12 steps of uh, dealing with a crisis, crisis management, leadership during a crisis type situation, man. Um, Real quick, though. Yes, sir. I'm not going to throw out I'm not going to throw out a task really that's going to be overarching task yet. Uh, Instead, I would just say, hey, share this with others uh, to kind of look at the idea of crisis management because uh, it is key in many situations. Uh, Ed, but if I know you threw it out earlier, but if somebody wanted to know, I did. If somebody wanted to know more about us, find us, just contact us to maybe give us pointers on what they think, where would they do it? 
Well, they could give me a call at 8675309. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, they could find us on all uh, avenues of social media, such as Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter at 101 Influence. They could check out our website at instinctiveinfluencers.com, where they could also see Brian's uh, aged face, because this has been a couple years. I think he needs to update the pictures. <laughs> oh, man, come on. You don't. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it has been a couple years. <laughs> it's been a couple years on the pictures, but uh, we'll get something new up there. I'll, I'll, I'll stay on him until he does. But, yeah, check us out there and uh, leave some comments. Rate us on your favorite podcast um whatever you use for your podcast, rate and review the show and uh, give us some good feedback, some sustainments and improvements. What do you like? What do you not like? What can we fix? Um, what are some topics you'd like to see coming up? And uh, yeah, I think that uh, that about covers it, Brian. Let me think. Yeah, that about covers it, my friend. <laughs> I think we missed something. Did I miss? I did not. Instagram, mm, no, Twitter. I think we missed something. There is a commercial. The- the we did mm. we did way to go ed oh well mm. I, will, I will cue it up uh right now so the commercial comes from our friends at lifelong learning and it is industry. lifelong learning <laughs> industries <laughs> lifelong learning industries and their ceo the bearded ninja do you know how hot it gets in the sierra desert we don't but you know who does a man walking on the desert barefooted, chest grizzled, bald head, a beard full and luscious. And all he does is allows that beard to reflect off the sun's rays as he continues walking, allowing the sweat to drip and collect to use as his drinking water later down the road. That's bearded ninja. Beard bomb made of snake venom and pomade. Found nowhere, sold everywhere, or not. You decide. Get yours today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Hey, so uh hey, I, I I was excited to get into this. I can't wait to uh start discussing the next six points where you're gonna be really awesome. So with that, Ed, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencer Podcast. Crisis management is a way to become a successful leader. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.